Hello and welcome to the Chinavision podcast, an occasional delve into the yesteryears of home computing with the people who were actually there. Very excited to have my guest today. It's Mr. Ken Shabby, John Rain from SmirchPod. Hi, John. Hello, Chinny. And I think, first of all, we'd better explain what SmirchPod actually is. It was a podcast about Bond and Bond-related things, but it's kind of, as it's increasingly getting older, it's kind of going off the map rather than doing whatever I feel like doing, really. It's enjoyable listening. I can picture myself where I was listening to certain Smirchpods, driving down the M6 in Cumbria, listening to the Prince of Thieves one, for example. So it kind of it places me on these kind of long journeys that I go on. And the reason I asked you on, because, of course, computer conversions, we come on to this, but... I thought, who's going to be really good to talk about the kind of conversions of yesterday and how they compare to the films? So we'll come on to that. But where mm. did your home computing journey begin? Well, the first one I remember is getting was an Oric. Oh. And then my brother got a 48K. But tell us all about the Oric, because we don't get many Oric owners on it. There aren't many of you. Yeah, I don't know, really. I was very young, and I remember I was just suddenly having this white sort of carbuncle in the front room. I seem to remember it didn't have many games no, really? No, it didn't. Did it have the ant one? No, it didn't have ant. I don't think it had ant attack. No, it, it didn't have much of anything. I've recently acquired one and um, had things like Manic Miner, but uh, it's like a more powerful spectrum. Better graphics, better sound, but no games. Nothing. I think we ended up getting rid of that and getting a spectrum, and then, then we were flying, really. I remember my brother getting a spectrum and having Manic Miner and things like that, and that's where it began, really. So you you were playing Manic Miner, you were playing other games? I remember my brother got Manic Miner and I bought The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Or was it Star Wars? It was the going on to what you were mentioning earlier, it was a conversion of the arcade. So you go you vector graphics, the arcade mm. experience in your home computer. Exactly. Yeah. And things like, you know, Monty on the Run. Very much a a competitor to Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy. Mm, exactly. But it's, it's also the things like I remember getting like Decathlon. A lot of button mashing games where we'd kill the keyboard and things like that. So it was all <laughs> it was all the early 48K stuff. And it was only when it re- really I got my... I remember getting... Uh, I think it was the 128K Spectrum where it had the red hot radiator on the back of it. The 128K with the bit on the side. On oh, the side. Hot, yeah. Yeah. All Which got now. red hot. Yes. Yeah. And that was a major triumph because it meant that I could play Renegade and flip people over the side of things. Because <laughs> you couldn't do that in the 48K. It's interesting, you, you, you go from the 48K to the 128K, and that's a, that's a relatively short time frame. What mm. kind of made you want to get the 128K? I think I was just told about it. I, I think it was probably my brother got one first, because he was five years older than me, so there was oh. a, a thing there. But I think I think he sold it to me as, you know, it was better graphics or whatever, or better, better all round, really. And so you're playing Renegade and you're playing these mm. other games, so it's kind of your games are expanding. Yes. Now, you're not doing anything else on this computer, you are just playing games. No, apart from occasionally doing mildly, you know, like go to dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, no, it was I was mainly using it for games. We can say this now because I'm not going to go to prison, but <laughs> obviously you could borrow a game off someone and tape it, which seems insane now. So you've got a big scene at school there with other Spectrum owners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we were lending each other or someone would give you a copy. That was the benefit of, of it, definitely. And obviously you could do that. Because after the Spectrum, we then got, I then got a Commodore 64. I went to the dark side. I didn't like it very much, but I went there because it was colour and it felt more exciting. And again, were there, because you're going from your swapping games to your Spectrum owning friends to your C64 
mm. owning friends, presumably. I seem to remember that's one of the reasons why I did it, because I went around my friend's house and he had one. I had two friends who had other computers to me. One had an Amstrad, which again seemed quite exciting because it was colour and, and looked shinier. And then I went to my other friends and he had a C64. And I, I can't remember what game it was he had, but it just seemed really vibrantly exciting. It might have been something like Turtles or something. And uh, I got one, but I didn't have it for very long because then my brother got an Amiga. So again, again it was very quick progression mm. between the machines during this time during this spectrum and c64 mm. times again any of these kind of the games you're playing on that 64 i don't remember the 64 i don't think i had it very long i had the spectrum for a long time and all the classic spectrum games i was playing on there like all the ultimate play the game games and obviously as you mentioned earlier all the film tie-ins i was getting all of them and getting very disappointed i remember waiting by the letterbox for my copy of red heat to arrive <laughs> and it was just one of the most disappointing things and i remember my, I got family up in Liverpool and we were up there and I bought The Living Daylights and we've talked about that on one it's of your a, previous shows. I mean, that's a, that was a, you know, an interesting game to go through because, of course, it, it's a well-known film and they try and follow mm. the movie and that's the kind of thing with with these games. Had you seen The Living Daylights when you got the game? Or? I had, I had, yeah. But if I hadn't, I'd have suspected that the whole plot of The Living Daylights was just James Bond running from right to left. Shooting at people, <laughs> popping their heads over rocks. I mean, it's better than View to a Kill from Domark, which was oh, a... Yeah. I, did anyone get off the first level? I don't think I did. I remember no. driving Is that the 3D walls. one? Yeah, the, you could, you could mm. have driving a car. I, I it's a long time since I played it. My mate had it as well. And you'd, I just remember being in this kind of car or something and stuck against walls the entire time and not getting mm. anywhere. Perhaps I'll to revisit it. But what I loved most about having a Spectrum was when they started doing the budget tapes in Woolworths. So there'd be like a little carousel. And it was like, they could, called that like Hit Squad and stuff like that. Yeah. And you could get a really classic game for like two ninety nine or something, I think it was. And I used to get a load of those. Real classics are the ones that I'd still, I still have a fondness for now. But if I played them now, they'd probably be sh- <laughs> like heavy. Was it heavy on the magic? Quite a few of those gargoyle games in that style. And yeah, you're right. The game's coming out 18 months, two years, sometimes less than even 18 months, mm. onto budget and giving you that chance to to own it, especially because budget games are more widespread than yeah. full-price games. Isn't that how, um, oh God, what they called that games company who now do like Colin McRae and stuff? Didn't they start doing budget games? Codemasters, yeah. They were yes. doing original titles with the mm. very, very few re-releases. Mr. Angry. Yes. Um, was one that was actually a re-release, but most of Codemaster stuff in the early days was original content. Yeah. And um, where you had Hit Squad, which was just re-releasing Ocean Games, Kicks doing US Gold Games. That's right. And Mastertronic doing original games, but actually doing other stuff on their different labels. But it was just such an exciting time because there were so many games around and even informed what you were doing. Because like, I, I was a really big fan of Grange Hill, so I had the Grange Hill game. And then I went to senior school and I had things like back to school and school days where you could call a teacher Mr. Tits. And it was all fair game and fun. I thought um, you were going to say that I went to secondary school, fell over a paving slab and died from oh, the yeah. Grange Hill game. <laughs> that's right. Oh, dear. That's, uh, a, that's, a, that's a thing. We, we can only license Gaunch, Hollow... And Mr. Griffiths, yeah. and nobody else. 
No, because Mr. Griffiths asked for a million pounds, so yes. they gave it to him. They couldn't afford anybody else. <laughs> they couldn't afford anyone else. <laughs> that it's was the game where you'd meet like junkies and things. They'd yes, offer you drugs. Yes. Yeah. And if yeah, if, if you accept, obviously you'd well, everything in the Grangeville game kills you. Mm. And when you do get, you're supposed to climb in through the ducts of the school mm. with Hollow following you. Except Hollow just kind of randomly starts falling through the screen because they haven't really coded it properly that far because I don't mm. think they thought anyone would get into the school. So the game just breaks, basically. But I used to like that. I used to m- like activating things in the games that are there to stop you doing things. I remember the, the game of Minder. Yeah, oh, yes. If you swore at someone, it thumped you. <laughs> that was always fun. And it's, and it's it's these unlikely games, isn't it? You think, oh, they could mm. do all these properties that kids would buy that would appeal to them. And no, no. We're going to do Minder. I found out recently there was an Alo-Alo game. Yes, uh, Alternative, (laughs) yes. Um, It's it's, uh, about 1992, something like that, 93. Mm. Um, It's when they did that tie-up with BBC Enterprises and they did Dalek Attack as well. But then there's the, the, the crushing disappointment was something that I remember greatly. Is like, For instance, like when I was a little kid, I was really into Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. And they did a Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds game. And it was just so boring. It's kind of strange what they did games of because you've got the kind of big names like your rambos your batmans mm. um total recall and then you've got the weird ones like you know of all movies to convert give my regards to broad street oh god yeah why why yeah. <laughs> just kind of, yeah. why not do the frog song with paul mccartney because it's part you know i know they showed it kind of as an intro to give my regards to broad street but you think that'd be more oh, we could do we could do a rupert the bear frog song try no we're doing doing the film but the Debbie Does Dallas game was great. <laughs> but, I mean, you've got all these films around this time. I've written down a list of games they never converted. Um, they could have done something. Whoops, whoops Apop- Apocalypse, mm. um, Clockwise, which everyone knew. Yeah. Buster, 1988. That's peak licensing time. Buster. Why not have Phil Collins in a game running off to Brazil or Argentina, wherever it, wherever it is? Oh, that's brilliant. Favourite of yours. Not the TV, not the TV quiz, the movie. Michael Winner. Bullseye. Perfect. <laughs> could have done oh, that. Chariot of Fire, that. A Fish mm. Called Wanda, Cannon and Bulls, Boys in Blue. Why oh, not? Crying out for a game, that is. You could do, you could do. Cannon and Ball in the game. Who wouldn't buy that? They'd own cartoon stripping. Look in. Why not give them oh. a computer game? Idiots. <laughs> Too busy making games of things like Platoon. Platoon, when you bought it, you'd open the box and you'd have the game on one cassette. And the Smokey Robinson song, Tracks of My Tears, which is the theme to Platoon, on another cassette. <laughs> what do I want that for? <laughs> I'm a nine-year-old boy. It's just, it'd be duplicated onto the... Because you used to get, sometimes they put soundtracks in games like Outrun. And mm. the thing is, it'd usually be duplicated in mono onto a computer-quality cassette. Mm. So it would sound crappy. It'd sound like you'd gone down the newsagent, bought the cheapest Maxim tape you know the ones you ones we got like five for a pound yes exactly. and recorded it off the radio and it would just be like <laughs> terrible i've got a copy of um shadow warriors still got yeah. it here from when i was a kid and that came with a little plastic bag now i imagine that that was to put over your head <laughs> when you see how bad it is compared to the amiga and arcade versions uh, things like turtles biggest game of 1990 yeah i think it was mm-hmm. and because the game's a bit lackluster and was late Coming up, they give you a set of Panini stickers, uh, uh, a fake tattoo transfer, and a badge. I can wear them while I play this terrible game. Thank you. It's like <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. That game was awful. And that came with a balloon. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know if I got a balloon with mine. Uh, mm. But why it, it, they throw these things in, and it's like the get surely the game is what sells it. But of course, that's not how the marketing people think. Well, I I don't know about you, but I I switched from Spectrum. I think I had an Amiga by the time this came out. My friend bought a Plus Three. A Spectrum were on a disc. They didn't last very long, did they, the Plus Three? They withdrew them just after the Amstrad CPC Pluses came out. So 1990, they were withdrawn, mm. although um, you could still buy them. But yeah, they went out of production in 1990. Oh, I remember going around my friend's house and he had, I think he had Street Fighter 2 on it. And I had an Amiga at the time and I was just thinking, what are you doing? What are you bothering with this for? It's a, an amazing technical marvel. If you got that on cassette... Because you had to load in both fighters separately oh. and then the background. Oh or they could God. opt out of the background, but it could <laughs> it still have to load both fighters in and play against no background and it would take forever. Because this seems insane now because I've, I've, I think my, my mind has long pulled out all those memories of, you know, like setting a game going and then going down for your tea and then coming up just for the final... <laughs> which I've long sort of dismissed from my memory, but imagine that. It's, I think it's one of the biggest Spectrum multi-loads ever. And it, to be fair, it's a technical achievement. To be fair, when you're playing, you're thinking, well, I'm playing Street Fighter 2 on a Spectrum, but after your 30 seconds of being high dukened in the head and you've got to load the intro up again, you kind of think, yeah, this isn't really much fun. I mean, it's like that is like saying I've made a suicide machine. It's a great technical achievement. It doesn't mean it's a, it's, good, it's going to be any good for you in the in the long run. But it's these bigger kind of games coming onto the systems, and you're you're there with an Amiga now. Yeah. And, and what are you playing on there? I was really obsessed with all the Cinemaware stuff. Yeah. Uh, just I, I know ultimately they couldn't kind of deliver, but the presentation and the artwork of them was so good. It's fascinating watching people play those through online where they know what they're doing because mm. I usually end up being, being eaten by ants or yeah. or something fairly Crushing early on. Plane. Yeah, I, I, loved, I loved Wings. I loved It Came From The Desert. I, I still to this day had no idea at the time they made a sequel, which I'm fascinated yeah. to see. And, and I loved things like, I loved their sports ones as well. They did a very good American football one. They did a very good basketball one. The thing that always struck me though, going from the 16-bit to the 8-bit, and I don't know if you found this because I was late going to the 16-bits partly for this reason, is ultimately you're sitting there playing Robocop on your Spectrum, or Amstrad in my case, and yeah, it looks rough, but actually, and I kind of find this when I come to review these games again all these years later, is you play Robocop on the Amstrad, it's great, play it on the Amiga, looks far nicer, sounds far nicer, doesn't play quite as well, and you're paying two and a half times the money to do this. I think you're right. Oh, I've remembered the big title I had on my Commodore. Oh, yeah. Last Ninja 2. Ah, well, there's That's, a game. That was the one. And there was another one, uh, Vendetta. Again, they looked really good. The Last Ninja 2 was one that I was just... It was like one you'd show off to people. It's an amazing game. Uh, mm. it's, it's two on the... Two, two's on all sorts of systems, but I think it... Is it one or two that's on the BBC Micro? And you go, wow, it's on the BBC Micro. <laughs> that doesn't look any good, but it's um, it's on the BBC Micro. <laughs> but it's a... You know, it's a fantastic game, that kind of isometric. Yeah. It's not kind of, I wouldn't say sandbox, but you can kind of run round in any order yeah. you want to, to an extent. Yeah, it's 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 a really, really cool sort of, almost like a point-and-click adventure game, except, as you say, it's you you can run around and 
do flying kicks at people and stuff and hit <laughs> them with a sword. That's great. With the uh, Amiga, mm. are you moving? Are you playing any other kind of games, simulations, or uh, there was one called Stunt Stunt Rider or something? Stunt Car Racer. Yeah, where you could jump over those um, big ramps and yeah, stuff like that. Jeff Crammond, yeah, yeah, and it was like a first-person view inside the. That was one I played a lot. The the Batman on the Amiga, I, I really liked because it was the Batman film, and I was still kind of obsessed with it. That's the yeah, that's the film version because of course we had the Cape mm. Crusader the year before. Yes, just. just finished playing that. Then you had Batman the movie, 89, big game. Was that bundled with your Amiga or did you get it separately? It was bundled with my Amiga, but I also had it on my old Spectrum as well. All right. Because I remember that getting five out of five in, uh, in, was it in Crash or your Sinclair, one of the two? It's that template ocean movie conversion. Level one, walking, you know, left to right, up and down and so on, platformer. Level two, you got something with cars or vehicles. Level three, back to... You know, they did that on so many of their games. They did that with the, I remember the Untouchables came out yeah. as a game, and it was basically exactly the same as Batman. Uh, you had some uh, shooty. Did you have shooty bits in Batman? I can't remember. No, uh, in Batman, you had uh, driving bits. Yeah. So it's like Total, total Recall mm. the following year is Benny Cab. the yeah. same kind of, yeah. It, mm. it, it, except it's got more platforms and more kind of keys and things to wander around, things to activate and jump on. But it is. Um, Again, it's like we've got Batman, that sold really well. So, what we're going to do is give, do Total Recall and do it the same way. But I remember they, uh, but sometimes they'd be innovative, especially Ocean, because I remember they did Nightbreed. Yeah. And I had the, um, innovative, is that the interactive game? Yeah, I don't think I've played it, but I know the one you mean. I remember it being advertised. Mm, and it was one of those ones where they clearly wanted to do something with it, but they didn't have the ability to do what they wanted. So it kind of goes halfway and it's a bit boring and disappointing. It's these, um, yeah, I I mean, like the, these coding teams would get eight, 12 weeks if they were lucky to do this entire thing. Mm. Sometimes games would fall through and they'd end up with another coding. T- I think Total Recall was, I think Total Recall was in the hands of one team. It was going so wrong. It was thrown in with someone else with like a month to go. Mm. And it's like, you've just got to do a game. And it's like, they're just hammering out a game. Is that why the characters look so odd? They, I, I was never sure if they didn't have the license to use Arnie's likeness other yeah. than digitizing the artwork, mm. or um, they just couldn't be bothered doing art. Yeah, no, Arnie, but he's he's on the loading screen, but that is just yes. a digitized picture of the movie image. So I think some of these games, I think there was an issue with you cannot make the sprite look too much like the person because mm. um, you've got to pay extra. In the nineties, we had a load, load of movie tie-ins because, um, especially Ocean, because they had things like Navy Seals, and then you had oh yeah, Lethal Weapon, yeah, and what was the other one? Oh, there was just so many; it was difficult to keep up. Movies that essentially flops, like Navy Seals, were hits as computer games. Ocean pushed that so much that advert was everywhere on all formats, and the movie pretty much I don't know if it tanked, but it wasn't. No one went to see it. I don't think. And, you know, we all saw it on TV afterwards, but it was such a... But we saw it because of the computer game. Because the computer game was... Ever Ocean would do this thing of just pushing their stuff so much. Even when games weren't released, Toki on the Amstrad CPC or GX4000, heavily promoted in the Amstrad magazines with adverts, never came out. Because Ocean would just blanket bomb everything just to make sure their games got that promotion. 
And then you had it the other way around, where they released RoboCop 3 a couple of years before the film. Yes. <laughs> I, I wonder if that was... I mean, I always wondered if it, the Batmans were because they had... You know, they did the Cape Crusader and the first... Mm. Yeah, the, the, the isometric game on the Spectrum and Amstrad and C64. Then they did the Cape Crusader and they did the movie. Mm. And I don't know if that's because they had a multi-year tie-in with DC or DC were like, okay, you've done a good job before. And you don't know, because they were pretty much the, for movie conversions, by the early 90s, the only game in town. Yes, that's right. And they were pretty good at it. I remember I phoned them once. (laughs) Yeah, because there was posters being advertised in all the Amiga magazines for ages about RoboCop 2, and I think it came out quite late. And I remember I, I had a poster for them, their game on the wall, and I saw the number on it, and I rang them and said, when's RoboCop 2 coming out? And they said, oh, next year sometime. And it was true. But I actually got to phone Ocean, so that's quite fun. <laughs> and they're doing all these games. They got things, even things like The Simpsons, which they licensed before anyone knew it was going to be a big thing. Yeah. And it all culminates with them spending a million pounds licensing Jurassic Park for the oh. snares and other systems. And that's oh. kind of, yeah, that, that's the ultimate kind of, here we are spending a million quid on this property. You that's know, an, that was the peak of it, I suppose. It's another one of those Jurassic Park games. Where there's, quite, there's a couple of them where the, the, aim, the aim of the game is to murder dinosaurs. I kind of think that's against what John Hammond was, was for, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, you're chucking grenades. That's a terrible game. Jurassic Park one. It feels like they had no idea what to do with it. A lot of money and uh, yeah, kind of what, what do you do with it? But it's the same for a lot of these. And then obviously things things change and move on to these more what we call triple A games. And things change from these kind of like three people in a shabby flat somewhere knocking this game out to mm. kind of teams of hundreds. Yeah, because that that that. Moves on to where I went after the Amiga. After the Amiga, I got a Mega Drive. That was mainly for Sonic. I did have a Game Boy briefly, because everyone did. It was the law. <laughs> but I got Mega Drive for Sonic 2. And there's that moment. Where, where When did you first see Sonic and go, oh my God, that thing's moving like a bat out of hell? Yeah, I think it was in a, a like a computer game shop. Uh, I think I was in there getting something and it was on the TV and I just thought, goodness me, I just thought I really want that. And I managed to get one. But after that, I didn't go back to any kind of computer. It was all consoles from then on. We go from computers and some people migrate to PCs, but you mm. go to consoles and ultimately ends up with the the PlayStation and mm. GameCube or whatever it was, the N64 and GameCube by then and, and so on. And mm. it, it, it changes from that kind of homebrew, not homebrew, but that kind of more homely feel of that's the yeah. Spectrum game on a tape to a, Big kind of thing you can buy in any shop. Go into HMV, Virgin Megastore, what have you. There's your PlayStation game. It's sad, really, because when you... Th- I, I think I read something or saw something where someone was saying that all the old developers who were making stuff for cassettes, uh, when cartridges came along, they had to pay a fortune. It became you know, really hard. Yeah, to get their games onto a cartridge. It's a different thing. You kind of... The Pickford Brothers, who we see online... Did games like Zub on the Spectrum were early people to move over to the Nintendo mm. Entertainment System. They moved early, I think, 87, 88, something like that. And, of course, it becomes you have to have approval from Nintendo. Everything has to go through Nintendo yeah. and all the manufacturing. And you're suddenly going from knocking out a game in eight weeks, like mm. Feud and Zub, to spending nine months developing a year developing a game. It's a complete sea change, that transition. 
But it's a shame, you know, because often now and then I have these little pockets of melancholy where I just think I'd like to just go back and play Werewolves of London all day. <laughs> That's a great sandbox game. That was a great game. I, I, I don't know why no one's ever remade it. It's a fantastic idea. Yeah, wandering around, killing people by yeah. night and kind of by day, just kind of trying to solve the puzzle, yeah. going on the tube, getting yourself electrocuted and... Getting beaten up by policemen. <laughs> yeah, getting beaten up yeah. the more and more policemen. And, mm. and of course, the story of that is Ariola Soft went mm. bust just before it was ready. So um, it's not really finished. It, it's a bit buggy. On I think the Amstaff version was first out or first to be reviewed anyway, and it... it Crashes a bit when you get it further into the game, and oh yeah, I remember reading you. It's impossible; you can't finish it. I remember reading. It, certainly, whenever I've got too far into the game, it just seizes up on the Amstrad. Oh, right. And Mastertronic bought the rights to it and stuck it straight out at not two ninety nine, one ninety nine. Yeah, that must have been where I got it from because I I just loved the cover and it was all about werewolves. Oh, it's so. the, I remember the artwork in CMVG when it was originally supposed to be released, and that werewolf full page. Mm-hmm. Ariola Soft it was Viz Design and just that that's striking right. look and of course it's not tied into the movie no and that's clever yeah because you think brilliant. it is and it's a bit like Grand Theft it's like an early version of Grand Theft Auto for me because like I used to play Grand Theft Auto mainly just to drive around and shooting people I used to play Wells of London just to eat people <laughs> it's a great laugh running around eating everyone it is the bodies piling up and seeing how many police officers you can get onto the screen before mm. it chronically <laughs> slows down on the Amstrad yeah. but 10 people on the screen and suddenly it's chugging to keep this updated how how far did you get into it not far at all I don't I don't remember playing it in terms of like trying to complete things or anything, I just remember being liked being a werewolf and eating everyone. <laughs> I think it. I got to about four crosses before it crashed on me, but I never realised that. And um, I knew you could go through the drains to get to different sections, but uh, you could also turn the. I think yeah, you can turn the electricity off on the railway or the underground, and you can go through to other bits there as well. And I'd never worked that out. Oh God, why do what they should remake that? It would be brilliant. <laughs> One game I do want to mention to you is, and I don't know if you ever played it, The Spy Who Loved Me being born. It was a rip-off of Spy Hunter, wasn't it? Yes, um, and mm. it picks up the plot halfway through the game. It picks up the plot the moment the Lotus comes out the water. Mm. Uh, oh, no, the Lotus gets delivered. Sorry, the Lotus that's gets right. delivered. Like in Spy Hunter. By Q, yeah. Mm. And then that's where it picks up the, the plot. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, you've got all this stuff before then on the rooftop, you know, with the the fight and everything else, yeah. and it, it's the pyramids. And, yeah. But no, mm. we're just going to rip this off, and then we do the underwater section, and you've got the bit in the base at the end, climbing on the globe security camera thing. I didn't even get that far. I just I just kind of dismissed it as because I loved Spy Hunter. That was a yeah. game I loved. And it was just like that, but not as good. So I just don't think I really... Indeed. The, the Live and Let Die game as well was just driving a speedboat. That was it. It's, it, they're trying to kind of go, right, we're not going to follow this precisely now because we've mm. tried doing that uh, with with you know the other games. So mm. we're going to just pick up the best action sequences from the game. But the problem is when you're going to do that and rip off a better game, you've got a bit of an issue if you can't make it as good as that game, if you see what I mean. Yeah, because the, the bon, every Bond game has just, just got worse. Because I remember the License to Kill game was just so infuriatingly hard. Yeah, I started trying to review that and... Mm kind of put it aside for another day, put it like that. 
Yeah. And that does start with the start of the movie. Yeah, it does. Um, but it's, yeah. it's you in the Coast Guard helicopter. Yeah, but it's just it's just insane. It reminded me a bit of what was it called? Um is it Silkworm or something like that? Silkworm's a side scroll, Swift. Oh, Swift it reminds Swift. Yeah, Swift. Do you still play games today or not no. really? Or? No, I don't. I bought a PlayStation 4 like to, when that came out, but it's now belongs to my children. I don't play games at all anymore. I, I remember the first time I realized I can't play games anymore. Someone bought me Far Cry 3, I think it was. And I started playing it, saw how vast the map was, and I just thought I can't be bothered with this. It, they they require these modern games. You can't just pick them up and play them. No. They require so much time. It's like an hour of cutscenes before you can actually play it as well. So I just I just can't. I haven't got time to do much these days, but gaming is, is gone now. The last game I really played and I completed it was Red Dead Redemption 2, just because that was quite chilled out. You, some, some nights you could just pick it up and just ride your horse about. Or if some nights you could pick it up and do bank robberies and stuff like that, it was quite fun. So that's the GTA th- thing, isn't it? You yes. can just kind of, if you want to have a drive around the city, you can just mm. drive around the city. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, John, um, thanks for joining me um, mm. today. Where can people find your your output online? If you just Google SmirchPod Acast, you'll find the show there. I also do a Doctor Who podcast called A Wheeze and Groaning Sound with uh, Tom Crowley and Paul Litchfield. Yeah, I did a book called Thunderbook, uh, The World of Bond According to Smashpod. Uh, you, if you get the second edition of that, which came out earlier this year, it's got all 25 and Never Say Never Again in there. And controversial. Did, controversial. And I also did a book about action movies called Exploder Book, uh, which came out this time last year, uh, which is available. And uh, if you could just go to my website, if you want this all there, it's www.com john-rain.co.uk Check those out, especially Thunderbook uh, on Amazon by John Rain. So thanks for joining us today here on Chinivision, John. Thank you very much for having me. A big fan. Cheers. Cheers.